Well, I'm going to stop trying to generate images of Cyberpunk Legolas because Bing AI is failing me horribly. Uh, I guess I should start us off because this is ostensibly it's my podcast show. RSS feed. It is my show, but it's kind of our show because <laughs> for the, uh, the listeners who uh, don't know, uh, this will be the first episode of Warrior Chats of 2024 where <laughs> me and my good friend Emily get together to talk about random stuff ostensibly warrior cats but uh it's been a while since we did that uh in this case we are joined by my other good friend alice because we're going to talk about lord of the rings and i am told that alice is a bit uh lord of the rings uh brain wormed and by i'm told i mean i've talked to her and and, 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 and she is and it's gonna be great because i reread lord of the rings and it was fun i am somewhat learned in the lore of um middle earth and of arda of course Alice knows so many things about Lord of the Rings and just like literature and art in general. But specifically, in this case, Lord of the Rings, uh, very much so. My qualifications are that I used to be able to write poetry in Quenya in college. Um, and I have read Tolkien's, not only his letters, um, and most of the extant criticism about him in literary circles. I have also read his academic work, which I think is fantastic and worth reading. And you can get a lot out of it, even if you have no background in any of his academic subjects. Monster of the Critics is a wonderful read. We've established, Alice, that you are the smartest person in the room. And I want to establish <laughs> yes, that I am the dumbest. So. Probably. I don't think I don't think that could be possible. I think you and I are like racing for the bottom here. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask Alice what she thinks orc penises look like. So you have to top that. Um, I can I it, I don't know if it'll top this, but uh, as is customary, I normally draw a like little bit of album art for these uh, warrior chats episodes. But this time I decided to outsource my icon art and I'm going to reveal it to the two of you live on the air. Wait, what? Oh, boy. Uh, so so I'm, I'm sending this to the discord chat that we are in currently. Oh, oh, this is so good. This is so fucking good. Oh, that's so good. I, that's so fucking for, good. For the listeners, you can probably see it because it's probably the album art for the episode that you are listening to. But I commissioned a friend of mine who is really good at cartoon style matching to draw the three of us as uh, Rankin Bass style uh a, a wizard, hobbit, and dwarf uh, for the the Rankin Bass Hobbit movies, which I uh, am quite fond of. We look so stoned. I love it. Yeah, it's really good. Amazing. <laughs> I've got uh, a pipe of uh, I've got a pipe of of Hobbit weed or whatever it is. I know it's not supposed to be weed, but you know. And I actually have my. Um... I actually have my church warden here, so for, for maximum um, Gandalfness. <laughs> Though, to be fair, this is probably what B Bilbo's looked like as well as an old man. <laughs> but yes, um, th this was done by uh, at Nick Herf on Twitter, my friend Nick, uh, and I, am, I, I commissioned this. By who? 
My fr- a friend of mine for, uh, that lives in Minnesota, uh, his at is uh, at Nick Herf, uh, short for uh, Nick Herlofsky. And uh, he he's a, a character designer and uh, he he drew this for me. He did a really good job with yeah. capturing the style of that old. Those it's old so movies. good. I, it's I, so good. I I was quite delighted, and that is also Alice why I randomly messaged you about being drawn as a dwarf the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered what that was about. Yeah. Uh. So anyway, we we can get to the actual the meat of the conversation, but I wanted to get your reactions to this uh in the episode. Part of me wants to actually have an in-depth, proper conversation with Alice about Lord of the Rings and Tolkien because I could learn things. And the other part of me wants to be a drunk idiot because I am drinking and I, I hear other clinks and gla- of glasses. <laughs> so I'm not the only one. Yeah. And I, I don't know which one to pick. We can do um, both is the thing. We don't have to limit ourselves. Which, yeah, which lane should we start with? I believe you'd already asked me a question. About orc penises. I did. I, yes. Um, to answer your question, um, I would say that they are probably very similar to humans, and that uh, orcs, as we have mostly depicted them, are humanoid in nature. I think orc penises are ribbed for her pleasure. Are there girl orcs? That's not relevant. The answer to that question is extremely long and gets into um, Tolkien being a Catholic, so... <laughs> We should probably circle around to that one. Mm -hmm. It is both deeply unsatisfying and fascinating. (laughs) Just like Catholic sex. So I've heard. Yeah, so, um, Chad, you, this was spurned on because you recently read or reread the books? Reread. Okay, and uh, so you just wanted to talk about Lord of the Rings, but... What, yeah. What did what did rereading these books uh, bring you? Uh, it, I actually enjoyed them a lot more. So the first time I read them, I think, was in like 2014. So it's been it had okay. been about nine, almost ten years. Uh, and what I did differently this time is I actually started with The Hobbit, which was the first time I had read The Hobbit. Nice, nice. And I really liked it, but I was like, okay, this is this is a kids' book. It's definitely not quite as meat and potatoes as what follows, but the the transition from kids book to adult book and just like the way Tolkien handled this like re-sculpting of his world almost I thought was really fascinating and it really made me appreciate uh the characters and the writing in uh the fellowship a lot more and then as like the fellowship expands and keeps going into the other two books and this this sense of like time and scale is so palpable and I I kept getting kind of like lost in how how long the books are but not not quite as an insult. I mean, they, they are long books. They took me to, a, a ways to read. But just... I, w- the- I would hope there's a sense of time uh, as Tolkien spent and wasted a lot of time making absolute sure he knew to the day where in, where in what region everyone was. He spent, I believe it was at least a month figuring out what cycle of the moon it should be most of the time. Jesus. Yes. Um, not because he, that is not a good thing. I should remind you. Um, it is a bad thing. <laughs> Tolkien was unhappy with himself that he kept doing this all the time, but it kept happening. 
This is hyperfixation well, on a scale that we are simply unprepared to even fathom. Yeah, I look at like my own writing and the amount of research I do is literally the barest minimum possible to finish the book. Um, there's actually he actually wrote a book uh, about the like a well I say book it's more of a novella short it's weird uh, called Leaf by Niggle, um, which is about a painter who like is working on this grandest thing and the only thing he ever gets is like a leaf and a twig of this tree and. The idea kind of being that sort of this the conflict between I want to make the thing, it's in my head, it's beautiful, and I wanted to get it out and make it real, and also the obsession with making sure that it is absolutely faithful to the beautiful vision in in his head. And like um he never he he never actually figures that out ever. <laughs> Not not ever. It's a miracle the Lord of the Rings exists. Uh, most of the published f- Tolkien fiction is uh, was published by his, um, I believe, grandson um, and son who like were putting together his notes um, and sort of patchworking together things because he just couldn't. For God's sake, Lord of the Rings took about twenty years. Yeah, I I remember when I took a class on C.S. Lewis in college, uh, I learned that Lewis and Tolkien were friends. C.S. Lewis is also a topic that Alice knows quite a bit about. (laughs) Yes, for good or ill. We'll have to bring you back if I decide to reread the Narnia books. Um, But I know, like, Lewis... Ooh, I'll have to do that, too. I read all those in, like, middle school. (laughs) We should pencil that in. That would be fun. Look, you bring me back when you read the space trilogy. <laughs> I have read the space trilogy. I've read two of the three on the space. You know, that's off top. I do want to finish the space trilogy. <laughs> I actually legitimately want to get those and, and try them again. Because I remember the first one being really good. And then there's a metalcore band named after it. That's also really good, which is cool. Nice. Um, as for Tolkien uh, and Lewis, they were friends. Um, they had a huge falling out, but did eventually like become friends again. Um. They were part of the same circle, uh, the Inklings, which was a successor to an earlier group from when he was in school still called um, the Shield Biters, but it was in uh, Old Norse. Um, <laughs> because Tol- young Tolkien was absolutely obsessed with um, like everything Nordic and old. Um, he unironically adored Wagner, um, which I cannot fault him for, um, even if he is wrong. Um, <laughs> I understand why. Um, even though his un- his vision and Wagner's vision wildly separate themselves, um, this is a thing that comes back to bite him in the ass later. As Wagner is a German nationalist, and uh, oh no well yeah and tolkien is not though they both have very low though they share the opinion that they both had historically loudly very very low opinions of german anti-semitism <laughs> but they actually fell him and told him and lewis fell out of friendship briefly because of lewis's scandalous marriage to an american divorcee Oh, scandal. 
which he was okay with, but disapproved because he didn't fucking know her. And she was kind of loud and American. Um, but what made him mad was when Lewis tried to put some pressure on him to bring his wife and come to parties that his, that Lewis's wife was putting on because she was trying to fit in with the other Don's wives, the other professor's wives. And they were kind of snubbing her. And Tolkien got mad because Tolkien loved his wife dearer than he loved most things in the world. And he was very, like, committed and devoted to her. And for the sake of friendship, he had never been shitty to Lewis about the fact that Lewis never showed up to any of her parties. And she had also been Lonely Dawn's wife trying to fit in. And he was like, you cannot be doing this to me right now. You cannot, like, never have showed up and not even say sorry. And now you're trying to guilt trip me into doing the thing you wouldn't do. Um, they became friends again a, a little before and during um, Lewis's wife uh, having cancer. Which kind of brought them together again. Because like, as soon as he found out... Tolkien kind of dropped his entire enmity and immediately was there for, for, um, for Lewis. I didn't know any of this. Yeah. I guess um, don't meet your heroes, folks. <laughs> yeah, and, like, Lewis also kind of, like, acknowledges in some of his letters that he was kind of a dick. He was very nervous. Um, he was kind of protective, mostly because uh, he married this woman mostly so, for, so she could get citizenship. <laughs> Um, because she had gotten, she was in kind of a rough way and he kind of originally did it to help her kids and he ended up falling in love with her. And it was very, he was, he had been a bachelor for like almost for like a 40, almost 40 years at this point. Like the man did not, did not have a lot of social graces and he was very new to the idea of having a wife and did not handle <laughs> well. Um, but they were good friends. They drank a lot of beer and wandered aimlessly together. Lewis is about the Hell only yeah. person who could wander with Tolkien because Tolkien was awful to do on walks with. Because every, <laughs> he had to look at every tree and for a really, really long time. I believe that. Okay, here's the thing. Everyone bitches and is like, man, Tolkien really spends a long time describing all the trees in his books. And I, I actually don't think, I think that's really overplayed. There's maybe one it or is. two times where deliberately, yes, he's spending a lot of times on like the trees in Fangord or whatever because he's making a point. But his like prose to dialogue ratio in those books is actually pretty good considering mm -hmm. how old they are. And his dialogue's not always amazing. Like he's writing of the time. And so when I, you know, it doesn't feel as natural sometimes as, as it in, in 2024, which of course it doesn't. Those books are really far removed from 2024. Uh, but it, it's like, I, I see this a lot as a joke, and it kind of pisses me off because it's not true. Most of the things people say about Tolkien and Tolkien's work are not true. Uh, they are flanderizations of dumb takes that people had in, this, in the 80s. Yeah, I was going to ask if, if you guys think that that might be like a result of people like having a take and then other people just uncritically absorbing and regurgitating that take over the years. Absolutely. Because that's yeah. what it sounds like from your description. What they're actually trying to say is that they don't like the fact that the Lord of the Rings is often very willing to take its time. 
its pace is does it, it it can be past fast paced but it never has to be fast paced it's willing to wait it's willing to let things unfold in a very naturalistic and like step by step way and that's not very po- that that kind of style of writing is less popular today than it was even when it came out uh lord of the rings came out in the 60s we have we have shifted our uh, uh, what we expect from a book a lot, and even then, yeah, people bitched about that. Um, the two biggest criticisms of the day were, um, this is unmanly garbage, and everyone cries all the time. And um, what are all these stupid girly emotions? All these supposedly strong strong male characters are having. And two, will you shut the fuck up about how beautiful the countryside is? Uh, which ironically were the two kinds of people that Tolkien was obsessed with um, fighting in the realm of ideas. <laughs> so I think he did a good job on that front. If he made them mad. <laughs> I, I agree with that. Like the, the end, the, the emotional aspect to the book, right. Is uh, the books is, I think one of the core reasons why it works so well and holds up so well. And it's kind of funny just like reading it and thinking of like the you know toxic masculinity as we see it today. And then you go back to a book written in the 60s and like Frodo, Sam and Aragorn are very well-rounded bastions of like hey, this is what uh you know the 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 scope of uh, of, of manliness can be. You know, it it doesn't have to be this like defined rigid angry thing. They they cry for each other, they help each other, they are not shitty. They strive to do what's right and in all of these you know positive uh characteristics and i don't want to say it feels ahead of its time but there are there are elements of these books i'm like god these feel like really contemporary as i'm going through despite how old this this series is you could actually say that in a lot of ways it was way behind its time tolkien when he so tolkien was at the song um he was lieutenant tolkien um, and he was in charge of a signal company. Um, he hated it. Um, a lot of it shows up in weird ways in The Lord of the Rings. Um, as you just reread The Lord of the Rings, you might remember that there is at um, Helm's Deep, the dike. Um, that's a trench. There's like trench warfare in the, t- in the two towers. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's fucking rad. And yeah, because Tolkien literally like was in German trenches only set a couple hours at the Psalm after they were taken to supervise the laying down of communication wire. And um, he had to send like a, quite a few of those young men died under his command. And there's a reason why he like, there's this sort of almost too much of this sort of like people just standing around going like God war war is hell at each other all the time. It's like, yeah, because like he, I mean, the man was at the Psalm. Like over like a million people died, um, and what he saw after the war was that the kind of there was this air of the Georgian the Georgian summer, if you will, of young men, tousle headed poets, and good cheer, and like these well read like m- this well read middle class boys academy kind of world. Where like this kind of what he describes as homosocial um, relationships that were intimate and that were 
very strong and very emotionally honest. And like they had carved out this niche and there was this sort of like opening up of like sort of like a reblossoming of kind of the, the very end hind tail of the romantic era. And it is annihilated by the war. It is completely brutalized out of existence in the trenches. And afterwards, there is a turn away from that towards a cynical understanding of manhood that is brutish and from his understanding, brutish and callous. It, it refuses to cry. It refuses to mourn. It only the only emotions it feels are disgust and anger. The only things it cares about are ugly things and machines. And it kind of Tolkien looks at that and he's horrified and one of his motivations in writing is to try and counter that, that there is a way of being that is equally as that is valid way of being a man that does not involve being a shithead. <laughs> um, and that's not to say that his vision of, of, of masculinity was like a perfect one, right? I mean, the Georgian Edwardian summer was also kind of shitty in its own right. Tolkien may have, like, had quite a bit of respect for women, but that doesn't necessarily mean that his old Oxford pals did, you know? Sure. Like, you know, it, I, I don't want to over-romanticize that, but yeah, it, it's a big thing. A lot of people were really shitty about it. It was one of the biggest uh, criticisms of the books. Um, W.H. Auden um, spends a lot of time going to bat for Tolkien as the original Tolkien fanboy. And one of the things he focuses on is that is how good that part of it is. I just think of some of the science fiction I've read that's come around around that time period that this was written, you know, plus or minus maybe 10 years and how poorly written a lot of the characters are. Like sometimes the ideas are really cool or like the sense of scale or the sense of like the, the technology can be great. Like look at like Asimov. I've read the couple first couple of the foundation books and they're fun. They're 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 really neat and grounding and they're very important to the sci-fi lexicon. But that dude was not great at writing characters. He definitely could not write women. And so then you <laughs> see like Lord of the Rings and you're like, oh hey, at least the guy in fantasy was doing better. <laughs> and there is a critique of Tolkien and specifically on how Tolkien writes women, or rather the fact that he doesn't. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, he's not. And he's not perfect. He's just yeah. better than Asimov. And I, I want to, I don't want to to lionize here, but I do want to defend him slightly because <laughs> when we do have women in the Lord of the Rings, um, the main one that we look at is Eowyn, and I a lot of people kind of skip over Eowyn because they what they think they're getting with Eowyn is not actually what they're they're thinking. They're what they're actually getting. Uh, there's a bit they, I love that they kept this in the movie because it's one of the most important parts of the books in uh, the two towers. You remember the conversation, the little mini debate that uh, Aragorn and her have um, um, about, yeah. about duty. Like, 
I just rewatched all of these movies, by the way, in preparation for this recording. Holy I, fuck, Emily, I, why? I, I didn't, I didn't, I only did the theatrical cuts, but I did just like one a day. So it's not like I like crammed it all in, but I did. I got Alice and I, with a couple of our other friends, uh, do a, like a weekly movie night. And I got our weekly movie night to watch Fellowship. Then I watched Two so Towers good. yesterday and I watched, uh, Return of the King, uh, about an hour. I finished it about an hour before we started. Like, if you remember that scene, though, like, there's a there's a back and forth between them. And it's not like hostile or anything, but he it on the surface, one could think that Aragorn is has a point, you know, like there's a there's a Christian. There's kind of a Christian ethos here of the duty and sort of like you should be back staying back and helping people helping the people and there's a not quite a you should be in the domestic sphere there but you can kind of read it as a ghost haunting what he's saying and Aowen replies from a non-christian standpoint a pagan one one that in a lot of ways Tolkien admires deeply which is no duty is important and all but like uh, glory is real (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and like I have as much right to seek it as any man does. Um, it is a very pagan point of view. It is a deeply um like Nordic pagan point of view. And she doesn't lose that argument. In fact, she is ultimately vindicated in like her eventual um participation in the Battle of the Pelennor Fields, where Tolkien um Subtweets Shakespeare. <laughs> You're familiar with what I'm talking about, right? No, but I, I I enjoyed that string of words and okay. So like liquor. Have you ever have you ever read um or seen uh, Macbeth? I saw the Jimmy Neutron version of Macbeth nice. where they I did just, a play. I was just I feel like we talked about how Chad had not seen Macbeth recently. We might have actually. Um, so, like, in Macbeth, you know, the prophecies that Macbeth is given, you know, no man born of woman will ever kill you. Oh, and yeah, and yeah, this, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, You will not fall until the very forest itself rises up and all these really cool prophecies. And then, like, you know, the actual play, the guy who kills him was born a cesarean section, which I agree with Tolkien. That's weak as hell. And <laughs> the forest rising up is let's put some leaves in our, in our things they'll take what trees won't it and it it's it's dumb as shit it's so it's cheating it's so weak and tolkien's like i hate that shit in my book the trees are literally going to go to war and a woman's gonna stab your ass <laughs> and it, yeah it, it rules and it fucking and rocks it rules it's so yeah, much better. it absolutely rules you know um Melville was also influenced by that parts of Macbeth when he was writing Moby Dick and, uh, oh shit, uh, Fadala, the, his, um, spear thrower, I can't remember the proper terminology, it's been a bit, has, like, uh, reading the future for, um, Ahab, and, and kind of does the same thing about, like, the, the process of which you're gonna die, and, and Ahab's like, oh, well, it's, it, it can't be from this then, and then, like, you know, there's an irony, and he, he gets killed a slightly different way, and, ha uh, Yes. Um. And my, my professor hated that. He's like, I really wish, because it, it adds a, an element of the supernatural to, to Moby Dick, which otherwise does not have one. But 
but also, I mean, I, I'm like, I don't know. Like, I mean, Ahab's trying to kill God, and I feel like the fact that maybe God exists and it doesn't want to be killed and it kind of gives Ahab a point of wanting to kill God, I, I think it kind of works uh, to me. Yeah. I mean, that was because Melville is amazing and um, should have received more love in his own time. But that I is love Moby there. Dick. You would probably adore everything else he's done, and it's very readable. It's a lot more. Readable oh boy, I uh, I've read a lot of his shorter stuff, his novellas, like, in, and this was back in college. I I disliked a lot of his shorter stuff. I think I would like it more now because I think I would you appreciate would. um the writing a lot more. Like Billy Budd trying to get through that when I was like oh, nineteen. God, Billy Budd, Billy was, you uh, was miserable. Yeah, no, like you should they. They should not be teaching that in 19. I was taught it when I was 18, and I was like, no, this this is you should be doing this in college. Okay, I don't want to risk invoking a tangent, but I don't know what Billy Budd is. It is a novella by um, Herman Melville. It is very, I think it's very good. Uh, it is definitely weird and kind of the kind of thing you have to pay attention to. Um, and it can be a little wandering and um, like many of Herman Melville's short fiction, shorter fiction, it's essentially a uh, trick. Yeah, because the man loved the idea of the of the unreliable narrator. So the entire thing is basically a real swing up to a punch of basically making you question what the fuck is even real. I see. Um, he does this a bunch. Um it involves a sailor, that's all I'll say. Because, like, <laughs> you kind of can't explain it. I don't want someone to listen to this and be Herman like... Herman oh, Melville, it involves a sailor. Likely yeah. place for him to be. Yep. Actually, I, I wanted to... Um, I don't want to run you over here, but we we were actually talking in um, our chat a while back about sort of this idea of, like, D&D borrowing from Lord of the Rings. And... It's interesting for me, and you might have some thoughts about this as well, since you just reread them, that, like, a lot of things that we think of as, like, we think of just generically, oh, yeah, like, every, like, they, like, borrowed from Tolkien, and, like, I'm not, honestly, I'm not sure how much we're really borrowing from Tolkien, so much we're borrowing from people who were in the cultic milieu that happens around the Lord of the Rings, and Lord of the Rings is the only one that we remember, because, like, most of the wizards in fantasy ain't like Gandalf. That's that's true. So when I say like a lot of things, a lot of fantasy borrows from Lord of the Rings, my my definition of borrowed is largely so generic and vibesy based that I can't <laughs> be wrong. Because yeah, like there's uh, if you you D and D by itself is very different from Lord of the Rings. Uh, at the same time. A lot of the authors for the books have, like, at least Salvador has gone on record. He's like, I'm just trying to rewrite Lord of the Rings and capture that feeling I felt when I read it. And it's like, bro, <laughs> your shit is nothing like Lord of the Rings other than there are elves and orcs. Well, Salvatore is also doing a thing. Like, Salvatore really values the whole the fellowship aspect. Yes, and, yes. And, like, it's also why, frankly, his D&D fiction isn't absolute dog shit on the level of actual Gary Gygax's. Gary Gygax's <laughs> I've never so read anybody else's. Because Salvador's ain't great. Salvador's, um, the Dritz books, I like them, but I'm not going to defend them because they're just not worth defending. 
Um, mm-hmm. I like Ed Greenwood's fiction, but that's because um, I love him and he is my hero. Um, and I would, um, and, and I'm literally like in his Discord, the old man himself. Um, <laughs> a lot of things that we think of as being sort of from the Lord of the Rings are kind of more uh, sort of at a at a at a weird angle. Like wizards yeah. are a thing, but most of modern fantasy wizards are really more owing to the Belgariad, uh, to Belgarath, um, whose author is F, whose author is yeah, he sure is a guy. Um, I was thinking more like Merlin, or yeah, or like Merlin, or um, in the case of D anD D, one of the biggest influences on the magic there was actually uh, Jack Vance. Uh, Vance and magic is actually what we call the style of D anD D magic, where like. You were, you have only a certain amount of spells, and once you like you mem- the spell you memorize, once you use it, it's like washed, like erased from your mind. And if you want to cast that spell again, you have to relearn it. Basically, um, like the Vance's Dying Earth, which are actually kind of hard to get your hands on these days physically. Um, it's stuff around Tolkien that is circling around him, but not necessarily his stuff, because like. There's not a lot of magic in Lord of the Rings. You notice that? There's not a lot of, like, yeah. fireballs. Like, Gan- Gandalf's magic is very subtle. Because to Tolkien, what Tolkien talks about when he's talking about magic is this really weird concept of more like art. Tolkien sees magic as a good magic is magic that is art. It is a subtle art of knowing and understanding the world. It is a ability to call out to creation to not to manipulate creation but to to ask it for aid to to understand how it works magic in the more modern fantasy sense is the only one who does that shit is Saruman Sauron and Saruman it's manipulating nature it's 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 twisting it into new things making making lightning and fireballs is kind of an evil thing in Tolkien because that the way that he used the dark magic and black magic in Tolkien is really kind of a metaphor for industrialization. Sure. Right? It's it's not supposed to be a one-for-one, one because Tolkien rather famously uh, hated allegory, um, <laughs> really famously, and that he thought the... He was not impressed with Narnia because he believed that Narnia was a too little too uh, childishly allegorical, and he was a curmudgeon. <laughs> but if you start thinking, of, Tolkien's world makes more sense on a mythopoetic kind of metaphorical level because that's kind of the way it's supposed to be approached. It's you mentioned the thing about are there lady orcs? Here's the thing about are there lady orcs? There would have to be, right? But my understanding is that the orcs are like created by dark magic and corrupting uh, either people or things. So they're kind of almost more grown than birth. Kind of. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was always my reading of it. It's kind of Tolkien's. He goes back and forth on this because when he the orcs are become a thing, he wasn't envisioning them as people so much as a metaphor for like for evil. For the way in which, as a Catholic, as a devout Catholic, he believed evil worked. There's this old Christian idea that like evil doesn't create, it just twists. The devil cannot make anything new. 
he can only make he can only twist into mockery the things that are exist like you know suffering is a mockery of a normal a happy human you know mm-hmm. and that is the idea with the orc the orc is a dark reflection of of people but tolkien the learned man who lived in the world and got to see war was like yeah but doesn't that but wouldn't they be people i mean i have them talk right they literally talk like they're londoners very intentionally because london's full of factories i hate factories it's like he he really tears himself up about this because as a catholic if they're people they have souls who prays for the orc and it bothers the hell out of him like, there's this instinct to defend Tolkien against the idea of, like, isn't the depiction of the orcs and Tolkien kind of racist? Tolkien was actually having that problem with himself in the fucking 60s and 70s when he was discussing his own work with people. And he was like, God, well, they got to have souls, right? I mean, they would have to. And that means that, like, they're not ontologically evil, right? They couldn't be. That's not how, you know... And the answer is the the best answer is don't think about it. Um, the <laughs> unsatisfying answer is that like the orcs are not meant to be read literally, but that doesn't really help. Um, at, at least th- this is the reason why everyone focuses on whether the Balrog has wings because that's way more fun to talk about. <laughs> it's funny because. Tolkien having this internal debate with himself then is probably better than what a lot of like black and white morality fantasy does now. Uh, oh, the way God, orcs are yeah. treated in the early Drizzt books are it's just so annoying. Um, and then any other fantasy book. Oh, I'm just like like I'm trying to think of like the Dragonlance books, and it's largely like some of the dragons or the later on when the dragons are creating their own like dragon spawn creatures. And it's like, okay, well, Draconians if this thing out. can think and do stuff and, and, and give orders, like, yeah, it has enough uh, brain power to maybe realize uh, right from wrong, and it, it should be treated a lot more respectfully than just, I don't know, this what, I, what the way it's being treated. Like, it's so, yeah. it's so boring. Like, as a reader, I find that this now, lack of... I do want to say with Dragonlance, uh, I'm not as well-versed on Kryn as I am on Faerun, but That's okay. uh, my, my understanding is either. that would... With Dragonlance, um, the Draconians who are on Kryn, who are just dragonborn everywhere else, um, when the when the Dragon Queen is defeated, like they're they don't just like you know are ontologically evil forever. Like a lot of them end up marooned, right? They are essentially yeah. kind of child soldiers, and they end up being able to live in relative peace alone, kind of isolated from others because like the wounds are still there and. But, like, they're able to be just normal people eventually, kind of like how the supermutants in Fallout, when the master's dead, like, they're they're not, like, you know, ontologically evil. They're just, you know, they're just people. And, like, you know, they go have a new life after that. Um, but, yeah, on the front side of that, of, of, of the of the of the of the Lance stuff, like. I think it's the Warlands. Um, yeah, like the Draconians being on Hot Evil, it's just kind of like orcs. Dritz get the Dritz books get that from Gygax, who was truly astonishingly racist. I will not 
give if you want me to show you how racist he was, I will do so off air. But <laughs> when I look at people talking about how we need to get away from Tolkien, I'm like, no, no, no. We were already away from Tolkien. All the stuff that you guys don't like is not Tolkien stuff. It's like Gary Gygax stuff. It's like the Belgariad stuff. It's like I was going to say Vance, but it's not Vance. Vance did nothing wrong. Um, it, it, it's those guys. It's the guys in the late seventies and, and early eighties who like that stuff is what we carry forward in a lot of ways. And they did not learn anything from Tolkien. Tolkien writes a story where the whole point is that like these racial and cultural enmities are have to be overcome and understanding is the key to a better world. Tolkien writes this like you have two members of the fellowship from these races who despise each other, have very good reasons not to like each other. And like, you know, Gimli, like, you know, Gimli and, and Legolas. And like, yeah, because they coming together and realizing that like we're both people and there's, you know, our values are not diametrically opposed in the way that we have been told they are by the society we lived in is such a huge part of Tolkien. And boy, does that just not enter into a lot of fantasy after him. They took the orcs and they did not care a jot about about any of the stuff around them. You know, they. Yeah, I mean, I would say textually, the orcs are fairly one dimensional in Lord of the Rings. Um, I don't have like the the biggest problem with that, given the they're not really the focus. Um, yeah. they're just kind of an arm of the enemy and, and, you know, this, they're, they almost in some ways remind me of like a natural disaster, the way they, they show yeah. up and do things. Uh, and they're kind of <laughs> supposed to be right. But even Tolkien's yes. orcs, when they talk, like just talk like people, like remember, um, in the two towers, when he actually, uh, Aragorn goes up on the ramparts to look at the wall at, at the dawn and they taunt him. That's like, you don't get the Dritz books stuff of like. Orc talk like this. Orc only use yeah. nouns. It's like it, it, it's like no. They just talk like one of the humans might. Uh, we are the fighting Urukai. We do not fear the sun. You know, like yeah, the orcs of Mordor talk in kind of like Cockney rhyming slang, basically. But <laughs> that real people talk like talk like that. They were talking like that when he wrote the damn book. Yeah. Um, and like they have you know names of conversation stuff like. Even as he's kind of not treating them, even as they are just a natural, kind of a natural disaster, he's also, like, not depicting them in this, like, really racist way that a lot of fantasy will after him. And it is unfortunate <laughs> that we yeah. went that direction. I'm glad that we're moving away from it now. Um, I it, it took us a little too long to do that. I'm glad we're doing it now. But, man... <laughs> It reminds me, uh, there, okay, there's so many places I could spin off from this, because, like, when I first started reading the Drizzt books, it was with the, the Thousand Orcs stuff, where, like, he was changing how orcs were, were written and handled, because I'm guessing a new edition of D&D &D came out, and he kind of had to. Um, um, but making them more people-esque was, like, there was so, there's a lot of really neat, like, philosophy and, and Drizzt, like, grappling with his... You know, am I a bad guy? I mean, I've been, like, warring with these creatures all my life, and now I'm starting to realize that all I want is a society. Like, what does this make me? Oh, yeah, and, like, that's, that's right. really good. I'm, that's good shit. Yeah, it's it's one of the better parts of the Drizzt books is, like, Drizzt, like, 
You know, now that it's, the occasional rare moments where Dritz reflects on the fact that he is a drow and that most of the people um, on the surface of Faerun think of him as just like a pointier, more skilled version of an orc. And uh, he's not bad. So <laughs> dot, 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 you know. <laughs> if only there were more of it throughout those books. Yeah, I, I really wish there was. Uh, like the Brian Jacks books, like I have a ton of those. I, I love those as a kid. I will reread them from time to time as an adult. And the way like the villains act and talk to each other and are depicted yeah. kind of reminds me of the orcs in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, but like hammed up a bit because they're kids books and they're trying to be a little more comedic, I think. And they, they start out a lot better. And, and jo- Jocks does the same thing. In Redwall, the, the vermin of Redwall, the, the, um, God, that's so unfortunate. The like Clooney's pirates, they talk like orcs do because that's kind yes. of what he's doing, except that the, he hams them. Yeah, you're right. He hams up their comedicness because and in, in, in the original book, there's a sense of like they're not like inherently evil. They're pirates. That's why they're like this. They're they're, they're literally pirates that lost their ship and like <laughs> like that they're 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 silly guys. They're bad guys. They're not good. But that doesn't mean that they're like. You know, inherently bad, and then he just kind of over time they become just sort of inherently bad, and it's unfortunate because they were so much more interesting when they were just like silly little silly little cowards who were like, "Man, yeah. this siege of the Abbey stuff sucks. I'm getting out of here." And then you like transition into like the outcast of Redwall, where like all the evil animals are inherently evil because they're born that way, and it's like this is a shitty yeah. take. I hate this. I hate this so much. I don't reread that one. Yeah, it's fantasy racism is such a fucking thorny and often unexamined topic by a lot of people. Like I know that in I know that in like the past decade, there's been a lot of reckoning with fantasy racism and trying to course correct. But like on the whole, there are a lot of things that uh, people making artistic work in the fantasy realm uh reproduce uncritically <laughs> yeah and that like, is unfortunate even even tolkien does this uh both intentionally unintentionally i'm aware dear listener about tolkien 210 you do not need to to, to mention it we <laughs> do not have enough time i am actually willing to talk to people about tolkien 210 if they're interested in it I don't know um, what that means. Is that like E621, but for Tolkien? No, I, it's... Somehow it's, I doubt it. Short version is, the Tolkien wrote a letter explaining the orcs. Um, the language oh. of that letter... The language of that letter is that essentially when he was... Basically, he was asked, like, what do orcs look like? Because we have no idea what that is. You just made it up. And um, he... What he is trying to say is that when I thought about the orcs, I was thinking of the of the stereotypes that he was thinking of stereotypes that his culture had about other people. Uh-huh. He was not trying to make it a one for one, uh-huh. but it's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, and that's not the only one. Um, did you? Kind of pick up. I'm gonna let. I'm gonna let you guess here. But did you pick up what the dwarves are kind of supposed to be? Um, Think no. About their I, language. I feel... Baruch Kazad Kazad. I'm in you. No. 
dwarvish language is is very close to Semitic languages. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Tolkien regretted this. And they a lot. really like their gold. <laughs> yeah, Tolkien regretted this a lot afterwards. Um, he is unforged. It's very unfortunate. He himself said it was unfortunate. Um, <laughs> he was he's he was stuck. He basically wrote himself into a corner, right? Because like the dwarves are a thing in Nordic mythology and folk tales. Uh, and in those tales, they are greedy bastards. They're kind of their whole thing is being little little shitheads. And his version of the dwarf is a much more noble kind of being. They are craftsmen, which the Nordic ones were as well, but they're like artists. They're not just like hoarders, but he falls prey to this and regrets it. He tries to reframe it as wanting to try and course correct them to emphasize through, say, like Gimli, their inherent, their, the nobility of their culture that like the dwarves are a people who were, you know, like a wandering people who had no home and had been sort of treated badly by basically everyone and were still kind of surviving and thriving as best they could. And their culture was hanging on. And Gimli is a good start. And maybe if he had had more time, he could have course corrected harder on that. But he didn't because it's a man who hates allegory. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. And also he hated it for that reason, too. <laughs> um, it's definitely in there. OK, we're at 51 minutes and I would I would love to go for another hour because I'm like enjoying the fuck out of this. But I also will have to edit it. <laughs> I, I want to pivot in two different directions. One, yes. uh, Emily, okay. you made me watch an episode of an anime. Okay, and, yeah, and I would, I will explain why I did. I didn't make you, but I did ask. You if politely you asked. Might watch it before the recording, and the reason is like I we read. Um, I'm not going to call it Delicious in Dungeon. I'm going to call it Dungeon Meshy because I hate the name Delicious in Dungeon because it sounds bad. It has a bad sounds mouth porny. feel. Um, so I, we read, uh, four volumes of Delicious and Dungeon for my other podcast, Crying in the Book Club, and oh I, boy. I was on the day that I, yeah, that episode is out, uh, it, it is already out, so, uh, it, whenever this goes up, it is available to listen to, but, um, as I was listening to, or uh, as I was watching the Twin Towers yesterday, uh, I had been reading volume five <laughs> of Dun- <laughs> no, Twin Towers. I keep doing that. I literally, I keep doing that. The two towers. Um, yep. Um, no, I literally, I've done that like five times. I just like, my brain auto-completes. Um, but no, when I was watching the two towers, I kept because I had been reading Dungeon Meshi Volume 5 that morning, I kept being like, man, this just makes me want to read more Dungeon Meshi. And I was going to bring that up, but I wanted to make sure that you had context for what Dungeon Meshi was. And then I didn't anticipate that you would say that it was stupid and that I would want to beat you to death. <laughs> I did say that. Um, I and respectfully th- disagree. This is truly your worst take to date, Chad, I think. 
That's you know I the, feel like it can't be. I feel like I've had to have way worse takes. You've than definitely that. had worse ones. It's a pretty bad one, but I've seen you had worse ones in real time. This one might be the one that hurts me the most personally because I did <laughs> because I didn't anticipate you coming out of Dungeon Meshi thinking that it was bad. Dungeon Meshi is great, but you know it didn't make me think of Lord of the Rings. It made me think of a, of old original Dungeons and Dragons. It's AD&D. No, it's, it's not even that Dungeon Meshi is like, I wouldn't say that it's like a, you know, I I wouldn't call it something that is inspired by Lord of the Rings. I would say that it's, you Actually, know, shit, inspired you know by, I would say it's, it was inspired by Dungeons and Dragons, which is inspired by Lord of the Rings. But <sighs> like, I but watching it because it's got like elves and dwarves and shit, <laughs> like I was just like. When I was watching the Two Towers, I was just like, "Man, like I kind of wish I was reading reading more Dungeon Meshi." <laughs> but like, and that's it's not because like all of the Lord of the Rings movies are like incredible works of craft and art, like absolutely incredible. But um, I just I don't know. Like I've never been a person that is. Uh, tra- that has been grabbed by uh, Lord of the Rings as a franchise. Um, it's just not something that, like, even when I watched it the first time as a kid, that really hooked me. So, like, so- it's something like Dungeon Meshi is, like, just, I-, I don't know, maybe just a little more, like, my personal taste speed because it's, like, a little goofier and, like... You know, when I say it doesn't take itself as seriously, I don't mean that the Lord of the Rings taking itself seriously is a bad thing. It's just like, you know, a difference in personal taste, I guess. I feel like Marcel from that, the Elven Wizard, um, I was looking at like, all I can think of is I feel like this is a joke about Record of the Lodos War, uh, which is if you want to be reductive, the Japanese Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I'm pretty like she feels like she's a joke about Lodos War to me because there's the Deedlet, the elf girl from that is like the Ur anime elf girl from which all other elf girls descend <laughs> down to the um down like even to the character design often. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if I can like follow up any of this other than I, I thought it looked cheap. I don't. I'm being informed it's by Studio Trigger, and I'm like, really? It doesn't yes. look like it doesn't look like Studio Trigger. They make it, things that look nice. It looks good. I don't know what you're it talking about. Like, did I? The freaking dwarf did you character want, doesn't move at all when he talks because his beard okay, is in look, the way. I, and it, I look, I will admit, I do think his beard should move when he talks, and I don't think I, I think that that is like a huge oversight in terms of the animation of the show. But no, like everything. Great! I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to beat you to death. They, I, I will say that I wish that they had done a little bit more with the uh, backgrounds. Uh, the original manga uh, has some really lovingly rendered um, environments, which is kind of half the joy of it. Because underneath the "haha, it's funny because you eat the monsters" thing is a "what if we took a dungeon seriously as an eco- ecological space," um, and it. It, that's part of it. Um, I do, wish which I think is part. very cool, and that's no, also one of the things that that appeals to me about it over something that is like just I, I don't want to say basic in like 
like Lord of the Rings is basic because it literally set the base. So like I, when I say that it's basic, I don't mean that in like uh, that's not an insult by any case. But something that like dungeon meshy term, but I understand what you mean. Yeah, I, I mean, it's maybe not, like, the best linguistically term, but, like, I, I I like something that's a little more, like, playing off of things that were clearly established by Lord of the Rings and then iterated upon, I guess, than, like, Lord of the Rings itself, maybe. I, I get where you're coming from. I don't disagree. I think there's a lot of really fun ideas even presented in that first episode, the ecological aspect being one of them. It's one that when I, I read fantasy books that the worlds don't make sense because it's like, wait, wait, how did how did any of this come to be? How is there, yep. uh, you know, any kind of circle of life, you know, ecology, right? Like, you don't have to be an ecologist to know that, like, the Underdark doesn't make any fucking sense. Oh, don't even <laughs> talk to me about the Underdark. I, I love the Underdark as a setting because it's cool as shit, but it's stupid. But then somebody started asking questions about how it works, and I'm just like, uh, <laughs> we'll, session over, we'll get back tomorrow. My my issue with um with Dungeon Meshi is that I didn't think it was funny, and so as a piss take of, like, fantasy things, it just Can't didn't relate. work. Can't relate. Like, I, I didn't laugh I once. I literally rewatched episode one just so I could make sure I knew what I was getting angry at you about. And I, I cackled multiple times. Like, uh, like Goblin Slayer is a piss take on fantasy to me is better <sighs> because I wanted to have a worse take than I don't like Dungeon Meshi. <laughs> Congratulations. I don't know that. It's okay. I have, the, I have a worse take than, than that. Oh boy! Okay. <laughs> me, me and Cass watched um, all of the first season of of Goblin Slayer, and um, I thought it was good. It, yeah, you it's did fine. actually. You guys recorded. You guys recorded something that has never been released. And oh no, we re- we released it. Um, oh, did you? Yeah. Uh, I, I I released it. Um, actually, I released it for uh, on my blog on my old fan fiction blog. Okay. As a sort of a conversation with a um, transcript, the we have a lot of issues with the fact that the first episode is very is a bad execution of a idea that has merit. Um, that is so bad that it like almost kills the entire thing outright in the womb, and uh, then somehow miraculously the rest of it happens, and then it, it's good. It's actually good. Um, there is a, I think what you're kind of identifying here though, is like, there's a naturalism about that approach to writing, um, fantasy of like, Tolkien does this as well, right? Cause like w- making the world make sense, um, making the world feel like it's real. And a lot of modern fantasy doesn't do that. It's not mm-hmm. interested in it. It's interested in lore. It's not really interested in a world. That oh god, that should be like a tattoo or a thing that people put on gravestones because I've read I've read ran into so many authors who world build and world build and world build, but it's all lore and not how like the lore fits together. And then they talk about it and they don't write any stories anyways because they're not interested in that. But they call themselves writers, which pisses me off. It, it makes me want to stab people about how Faerun, the set which is the setting, um the Forgotten Realms is the setting, right, where Drist is. And the Forgotten Realms is often like, oh, it's just a Tolkien ripoff. I'm like, no, 
both of these worlds are naturalistic and that they have living histories and actually like make sense, but they have very little in common. And look, Ed Greenwood can tell me what goblins say for the word transgender. No <laughs> one can compare to that. I'm sorry. Modern fantasy not making worlds. It's making um, pitches for a fantasy novel. <laughs> um, the only time, like one of the only times I've seen naturalistic writing of this of this kind that of, like actually gives a shit about how stuff works recently was actually um, Legends and Lattes. Um, I've heard of this. Very I good. I have not. It's very good. It's uh, it's a slice of life about an orcish adventurer, like an orcish woman who's like an adventurer who retires from adventuring because she almost by accident happened to have a bit of coffee made from a gnomish machine. A little espresso machine and a city along her adventures, and basically like I'm taking all of my adventuring gold, investing in a gnomish espresso machine, and I'm going to set up a coffee shop in this dirt ass Baldur's Gate ass little town, and I'm gonna make it work. And it is very charming and good. And I was sitting there like, yeah, this kind of makes me feel the Tolkien feel without the the grandness because it feels like a place you could actually live. Kind of like the Shire feels like yeah, a place yeah, yeah. you could actually live. That sounds amazing. It's I'll good. look that up. Yeah. I, I so, have heard that it's good, but I have not checked it out either. The other thing I was going to ask you, Alice, and this is stupid, but uh, appeals to my brainworms, is that there are so many bands largely black metal or battle bands named after things from Lord of the Rings uh, to the yep. point of almost fucking absurdity. And I, I, what do you think Tolkien would think of that? Like his, his influence on pop culture, there's no way he could have like determined that there would be 50 bands named after his stuff. And at least half of them might be Nazis. Okay. Well, first off uh, on the Nazi thing, um, Tolkien uh, fear for his son fighting in the RAF in South Africa was tempered by the fact that he um, was jealous of his son's ability to go to war and kill Nazis. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, infamously, infam infamously, he, um, when asked if he was of good Aryan stock when The Hobbit was going to be put in, was going to be published in uh, Nazi Germany, wrote an ex a long letter about how dog shit stupid they were. And like how their anti-Semitism was bad and all this kind of shit. And then he sat on it for several days and he could not send it because he was too British and it felt rude. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and it's very it's a very good read. Um, I wish. Oh, God, OK, I, never mind. Keep going. I'll find it for you after we finish recording. Um, he would really be mad about the Nazi bit. I think he would be fucking furious. He would be out here fighting in the streets. Um, <laughs> but as for the rest, well, if they're American, he would not like them because they're American. Oh, there are no good black metal bands from America. Yeah, it's because he he fundamentally believed that Americans were incapable of art. Um, <laughs> not really, but like sometimes <laughs> he did. And um, I think that he would be... I'm not sure how. I think he would probably appreciate that people were making art. He wouldn't get it, and he would think a lot of it sounded orcish, and he used orcish as a way of referring to things that were modern in a bad way. <laughs> but I think he would also kind of appreciate that, like, people 
made art and they loved the world that he made and they cared about it. And I I think he'd be 50-50. Tolkien was a very simple man of simple tastes in a lot of ways. He liked a good tobacco pipe. He was his 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 humor was unchanged from 1920s uh, like or pre-World War One um like West Country humor. And I don't think he would understand metal, but the man loved art and he thought that people should make it. Um, as for bands, uh, there are lots of them, I agree, and a lot of them are terrible, um, but some of them are fun. I, I happen to like uh, Battle Lore, which is not a black metal band, um, and they're very goofy and corny, but I also love them. Um, if you want something a little more legit, uh, Blind Guardian is a German power metal band from the 80s who are like one of the forerunners. They're like contemporaries with like Iron Maiden and shit. Um, and they kind of did speed metal. They started more of a speed metal kind of band. And they have a whole thing called like Midnight in Middle Earth. And that they're, Tolkien's all over their shit. And they're actually, I personally think they're pretty good. God, there are a lot of them though. Yeah, I had a list, and it was multiple pages. Oh, and uh, also... Gorgoroth. Yep, Fangorn. Are one I really like. I don't think they're super problematic either, which is great. Yeah, I mean, most of the ones that are Nintra Tolkien stuff that I found have not been. Um, they're they're weird, and they're all sometimes embarrassingly bad, but that doesn't mean they're bad people. <laughs> you know, two things. One, we have to mention, of course, the elephant in the room that... Um, Tolkien shows up several times in um, the discography of Led Zeppelin. Oh, does he really? What? Yeah, I don't listen dude. To, I'm not a freaking like boomer. Hop. I don't listen to. I don't listen to uh, Zeppelin. Misty, Misty Mountain Hop um, and Ramble On literally name drops Gollum. Um, oh, really? That's awesome. Oh God, yeah. Like he, Tolkien references are all over a period of Led Zeppelin's work. Um, just randomly. He was very popular with the uh, weed smoking demographic. Um, <laughs> Imagine he, he loathed. He loathed. He was very mad that people thought pipe weed was weed. There's an entire foreword to his book about what pipe weed is and the cultivars of pipe weed. There is, is tobacco. I didn't read yes, it. Yes, <laughs> because he was mad about stoners. Tolkien, <laughs> um, uh, buddy, we got to talk. You got to chill. He did not like American fans. Be, not, well, he didn't like – he was mad because when his book came to America, it came over here illegally. The Because of some legal loopholes, a bunch of people just published essentially badly edited uh, copies oh, no. of Lord of the Rings. And it took, oh. he took spent years trying to get the official, actual licensed copy that had all the mistakes fixed into into circulation here. That did not, but it was wildly popular. Uh, there's an old story about someone finding graffiti in New York subway that says Frodo lives <clears throat> in like Hell the yeah. late 60s, early 70s. And also Tolkien did some music himself. You know that there are lots of songs with other rings, right? There are. And some of them, when you read them, actually feel like they could be real songs. Unlike a lot of Brian Jackson stuff, which don't. <laughs> yeah, it's because, like, the man started as a poet. Tolkien was a poet first. He wanted to be a poet before World War I. That's where he saw himself going. 
Um, he did, in fact, have two books of poetry, uh, one of which is a, swan, a, a, a song cycle he did with Donald Swan, who was a well-known British, like, musician guy. And um, they Swan did took his song cycle, The Rogue Was Ever On, in 67, and did an album of it that has stuff that he wrote. You can listen to them. They're pretty good, actually. Mm. Um, he... He got to hear the actual songs, and he liked all of them, except for Namarie, which um, he contributed the actual tune for, which sounds like a Gregorian chant. Mm. So he was kind of involved in that 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 uh, you, that making songs about Tolkien himself. Rad. That's actually pretty great. Yeah, I like that story a lot. Um. We're at an hour ten. Are we are we satisfied with this conversation? I, I had a lot of fun with this, Emily. I wish you got to talk more, uh, but it was really well, fun hearing the lecture of Alice. I also just know considerably less about Lord of the Rings than both of you, even because I've literally only watched the movies. <laughs> like I, I've never. Well, okay, I did read. I read The Hobbit, um, but I, I don't think I even. I don't think I fully finished it. But I did. Uh, I did read a considerable amount of The Hobbit, uh, and I watched all of the, those movies, and then I watched all of the, I rewatched all of the theatrical cuts of the movies in leading up to this. I do have one thing I wanted to say, which is less about his books and more about the man. Yes. Okay. That is a good point to, for, as a closing, um, anecdote, um, before we say goodbye here. Um, I'm going to link this article for you in chat after we get we get off recording. Um, J.R.R. Tolkien had a great enemy in this life before he passed away, and that great enemy was cars. Tolkien <laughs> hated automobiles. He saw them as a work of orcish devilry. Uh, he calls them orcish quite a bit. Um, he despised cars, and he refused to learn how to drive them well. Uh, you know, I I gotta agree with him on this one. I think like cars, uh, as a form of transportation, are like the least efficient and uh, and and the worst for the environment. And uh, we should all be we should all just be able to take public transit wherever we need to go. Uh, he did. He owned a car for a very brief period. He owned two after the first one um, got messed up. Called Joe and Joe Two. Uh, one of the first one of those cars. He um, barreled. Oh, he was such a bad driver. He barreled it over into his sister's uh, stone wall around her house. Oh, oh no! He was brazen, speeding down Oxford streets with little concern for other drivers, uh, crying, "Charge them!" and they scatter. Like he was, oh, he was, he drove like an Iowan, yeah, because he was old as hell and he hated the things. Um, he he stopped, he stopped driving in like the 40s, I mean, 39 with the World War II, and he never drove again. Fucking hated them. He called them a, and I quote, We must recognize the machine for what it is a mere tool with the potential to enslave, against which we must ever be on guard. Um, so if you want to think about the man who wrote the Lord of the Rings, imagine him in his old age, having fought in World War One, despising all technology more complicated than a water wheel, 
barreling through the streets of Oxford like a not like a knight errant, screaming charge as people go fleeing for cover. <laughs> Incredible. I love that story. Wow, I try I went into Bing and I was like, I want to type in J.R.R. Tolkien giving a lecture on how evil cars are. Cause I feel like he would hate everything about that. And I got a content warning. Oh my gosh. Hey, let's how he hates cars. Let's see if that'll do it. That's so funny. So now that now that we are are, are largely done with the show, and this is like I said, this has been really fun. That how is that a content warning? It's a man giving a lecture <laughs> on cars. This is stupid. Okay. Uh, we usually end the show with a glad space. That's an opinions are cheap uh, tradition. So something that made you happy, uh, that made you glad. It can be really small or it can be big. It doesn't matter. The idea is we, we take a, a moment and just enjoy the fact that um, that good things can happen. Uh, okay, wow. Even when I take out hates, uh, just a proper lecture. It's like, no, you can't do that. Uh, uh, fine. Fuck you, That's, Bing. Yeah, I I can never... I, I have attempted to play with the the Bing AI image generator before, and I can never predict what it's going to say is inappropriate, even though I feel like I've never put in anything inappropriate. But um, I, I have a glad space, and that is uh, briefly while I was watching uh, Return of the King earlier, uh, my wife came in and hung out for a little while, and... They uh, grew up with Lord of the Rings and have always been a big Lord of the Rings fan. So they had like a whole bunch of uh, like just as we were talking, like had had all sorts of like little quips and trivia to contribute. And uh, I it was just it made it, it was really cute and, and delightful. And I enjoyed it quite a bit. Hell yeah. Aww. Uh, Alice, do you have something? Oh, oh, I was gonna oh, ask. Or Alice, Alice can go next. Anything, it doesn't matter if if she you go, has you go next. something go that made her happy. Um, today at work, I ended up uh, instead of having, I brought a salad, but I got invited to a lunch. We went to a uh, barbecue place, and I had a Ooh. pulled pork uh, toasted cheese sandwich, and the place had a very spicy barbecue sauce, and I was like, "Well, I gotta try it." And it was like a sweet ghost pepper barbecue sauce. And that, that toasted cheese was like the fucking best one I have ever had. I was so happy. Oh, I ate the goddamn fuck good. out of that. Oh, that sounds pretty good. good, yeah. Good shit. Um, mine, I have kind of two. The Ooh. first is recently I discovered that Ed Greenwood, um, the man who invented the Forgotten Realms in Faerun, and when he was a child for his own stories and then later sold it to TSR for D&D, um, has a YouTube channel um, and a Discord, and he does videos where he just chats, he just talks on and on about Realms lore, and he is a wonderfully kind um, old librarian guy, and that is how I found out that he ex posted quite extensively several years ago <clears throat> about uh, the nature of being queer in the realms and it was Ooh. wonderful to read through that and um ed greenwood is the only person who can use transgender as a noun and i won't and i don't <laughs> care um the second being and i i want to say this because you were talking about tolkien here is that i can't leave off without saying the man's final words as an oxford dawn when asked to deliver a speech to 
uh, people who were graduating um, as one of his final acts as a professor, he began the speech by, instead of talking about graduation, talk, opening with, I have the hate of apartheid in my bones. <laughs> Tolkien was born in South Africa. And it was the um, and it was in the middle of apartheid South Africa. I don't think I knew he was born in South Africa. Yes, I did not. Yeah, that's how he got borrowed from his crib as a baby by uh, people in the local village. I see. And that is all I've got. Complicated man, the complicated myth, the complicated legend. So true. I think I think that's gonna call it though. I I really enjoyed this. Alice, would you come back if we wanted to talk more books and fantasy stuff? Because I would I would be more than happy to do this again. I would love to do that. Anytime that you want me to talk about a book. Um, uh, I, I have to read more books. <laughs> Look, you, you read that hideous strength that you get back to me, and we could talk about how it's the weirdest fucking thing you've ever read. <laughs> I'm I'm uh Halfway into book two of the Deathgate cycle, which is a Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman joint. Uh, that's a fairly long series, but when I'm done with that, maybe I will will double back to the C.S. Lewis space trilogy and uh, see if I can actually get through all of it. Yeah, we can, we can we can talk about Lewis totally not subtweeting about Ireland and space. That'd be great. <laughs> Have you read the Deathgate cycle? I'm aware of it. I've not read it. it it's holding up really well. I'm actually super enjoying it. Anyhow, that'll be all for tonight. Uh, you guys want to plug anything? Because I know you have a lot of projects. Uh, feel free to if you want to. Well, Alice and I are host the podcast Imagine Me and Utena, a, a podcast about the collective works of anime auteur Kanahiko Ikahara. I am also on the podcasts Crying in the Book Club and Fresh Podcast Market, and that looks terrible. Um, Alice, do you have anything else that you plug? Um, I can be found on Twitter, uh, as long as there is a Twitter, um, at Lyrewolf, L-Y-R-E-W-U-L-F. Um, and I'm around if you ever want to talk about uh, anything Tolkien-related or, or Forgotten Realms-related. And if you want to hear my thing about how Gygax hated Lord of the Rings, you can send me a DM and I will write a lot of words at you. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I'm not going to plug any of my stuff because I hate it all. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a joy. I hope people enjoyed this. Uh, it'll be up someday. I don't know when I'll edit it. <laughs> I hope soon. Because I've yeah. been telling people that I was going to record it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I might do it this weekend. Um, I'll, I'm going to take Friday off, so. Nice. Uh, so thank you, everybody, and uh, good evening, good morning, good night. Bye! Bye!